0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another all new X's for Show, where we take a look at all your favorite Marvel comics week after week. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N.
1: And I'm TK. You can find me at X, Nate, X, X.
0: And this is such a big week because we're looking at a number of amazing number ones. And one of the things that I love about looking at these number ones is that we're looking at books all written by women, Featuring characters who have come some distance, who have seen some reset. This is a really exciting time to talk about books, and I'm really stoked about the books on the docket.
1: Yeah, it's really funny. Uh, it all came together. You know, at first I was just like, hey, there's a bunch of new number ones being released. We should cover these. And really, I just saw the number ones and slapped them all on the list. And as we investigate, yeah, they're each written by women, they are primarily about female characters with a exception that i think the exception sort of uh, it's you know cosmic ghost rider which being that it's frank castle really allows you to <laughs> reflect on the amazing female characters that we have and uh given that it's uh, women's history month it's just uh all it all came together really uh fortuitously and i'm excited to talk about them
0: and you know the books that we're looking at today are an amazing selection of titles, and just to go over them briefly, we're going to be taking a look at Shadow Clones, number one, which is a, the new Spider-Gwen book. Who Spider-Gwen is such her own character that when I went to go do a slide for her and was writing down all of the stuff I should know about her, I couldn't think of her last name. <laughs> I was like, Gwen who? It's got to be like Gwen Williamson or something. No, it's Gwen Stacy, and I'm an idiot. Uh, she is just so her own person, it's easy to forget that she's Gwen Stacy. We're going to be taking a look at Hallow's Eve, which is special romantic for me and this guy, considering the nature of our relationship with the source material from which Janine hails. We're going to be taking a look at X-23, Deadly Genesis Number 1, which you know, just does not mark the 80th X-23 book by a woman but rather like the second or third, just not enough of them, but super excited about this one. We're going to be taking a look at New Mutants, Lethal Legion number one, and Cosmic Ghost Rider number one.
1: This is uh, really the kind of collection that I don't think you can anticipate in any way. Like I said, we really just threw these together. Um, But I'm so pleased at what a fascinating slice of the Marvel Universe in 2023 it represents.
0: And we're also gonna be taking a look a little bit later on at Test Kitchen. Now, I kitchen love Test Kitchen here. Test Kitchen is such a weird little idea that Marvel put together. And it's sort of exciting because it combines my love of a couple of different things, like my love of like Top Chef style food shows and my love of superhero comics. It's just a really exciting sort of slice of life book, and it coming out on Marvel Unlimited has made it hard to like be like, "Oh, look at that thing!" But look at that thing.
1: My love of Jarvis family drama, you know, just just Marvel things. Uh, yeah, again, like just this is another really interesting slice of Marvel because this is. A unique book it's you know it really is unique marvel has not published anything like this they're putting it on unlimited it's got recipes uh, you know it's just cool and yeah we will get into it
0: but before we can even get into any of this yeah. which i'm so excited about i'm clearly representing something a little unusual today for the the docket of books we have and there's sort of a weird cross section there's kind of like an unusual opportunity to talk about this uh, we have been... Okay, rewind. My first comic books ever were Daredevil. And Daredevil is a, a major thing for me because even though I now understand as an adult, Daredevil never represented characters with disabilities. It's sort of like if your first anything queer is... Okay, if your first major gay character is, you know, Ricky from My soul called Life... He's such a muted queer. His queerness is so covered in the era. And don't get me wrong. He is gay as the gay is gay. But they don't talk about his gayness so much as they talk around it. And Daredevil's disability is talked around and about. And so even though he is not truly a character who represents a character with a disability, he, as the closest thing I could get as a kid meant that as somebody who was chronically ill who had to be like homeschooled at times who you know wasn't capable of being as physically strong as the other kids my age it meant that like i had somebody i could connect with on a super heroic level and so daredevil has always been a huge part of the quality of my psyche and the part of like being like a i am a hero type and One of the things that's been so exciting is bringing people in on Daredevil, like yourself, like, uh, you know, contributor Tori Sheehan, who's going to be coming on a bit later. And, you know, Kevo has read a ton of Daredevil. And for the first time ever, Daredevil and the X-Men have a really good opportunity to organically mesh, but it's not Daredevil.
1: No. No, it is not.
0: Yeah, I believe, you know, I, I, I've I said a million times, like, you know, my, my Daredevil woman is Elektra, and if uh, you're going to give me another, you know, Daredevil woman, I love Karen Page like a stick to the chest.
1: So, pause real quick. If for some reason you have not read this week's comics, we're going to get into spoiler territory right now, and, you know, maybe come back in 20 minutes, um, but... Yeah, I, I think most people have, but I just want to make sure. If you don't want to be spoiled on X-Men number 20, uh, pop out for a bit and come back. Uh, otherwise.
0: Oh, all right. Uh, let me pop out real quick. Um, <laughs> no, uh, Mary Walker. Mary uh, Walker. Typhoid Mary, uh, who is like a longtime favorite of this show, who, you know, it's important to note, TK, if I'm saying, you know, this big joke about Electra's My Daredevil Woman, you've made it very clear that Mary Walker is your woman.
1: I mean, I, I got on a Daredevil journey with you, you know, you started me, uh, you finally made me read this thing in my face for decades, which was uh, Man Without Fear. Um, that John Romita Jr. art just, like, you saw it on comic book shelves when you were a kid and it never left your mind. But I finally really sat down and read it and I thought, okay, like, I, I get this now, I'm, I'm in. So time to start reading this Zdarsky run. And the Zdarsky run is fantastic comics. If you don't like Daredevil, it's still fantastic comics. It's really interesting, has great pacing. It really is a masterclass in accessibility for a character, regardless of any other circumstances. Um, And I was just enjoying it. It was great. But I wasn't like, I love this person, I love that person. When Mary Walker, when Typhoid Mary reveals herself in this run... Between that and Mar- Marco Cicchetto's art, it is one of the most beautiful, in every way, most beautiful, haunting, upsetting, wonderful reveals in the history of comics. It completely changes the game, uh, even though like it's not super-duper about her. No. But she just becomes so important, and then she just becomes so important, and she and Wilson become so important. And this amazing run really has this sort of B plot that is about these two people who are very complicated and not good people but great people to follow as comic book reader and yeah I just absolutely fell in love with Mary and then this last 12 months I've been getting gifts like every day from Marvel
0: and it's part of it for me has to do with the nature of the way Marvel has always treated Mary You know, when I talk about Mary Walker and I talk about the nature of these characters and my love or like for them and whether or not I perhaps see these characters as major players on the Marvel stage, one of the things that occurs to me is Marvel's never really given an opportunity for these characters to be major players. Something that I talked about on Twitter today was they've announced that, you know, uh darsky and Chetto are leaving daredevil in august or so and we know that the jason aaron run of punisher with his brilliant group of collaborators because you can't just say the incredible artist like his just says that's on every issue you also need to count Torin grunbuck who has done three incredible one shots at this point and you know people are like could they possibly backtrack what they've done with daredevil by giving him this supernatural bend by giving him this magical angle could they backtrack it well they could and i was thinking about could they do the same thing with the x-men with krakoa i don't think they can and here's the difference with daredevil backtracking the idea that they have finally paid off 40 years of potentiality of the potential of magic of what if Elektra and daredevil finally got together what if Stick took an active involved role in his son's life? You know, just the son, you know. Um, I think about the ways in which Daredevil is paying off the promise of 40 years, but at the same time, it could be undone because it's one book doing it one time. X-Men. There was nothing about Krakoa that was like, oh. Duh, of course. The magical flower babies. Duh, what they're going to do is, they're going to get an island, and they're going to start hatching babies using this group of five mutants, and also Mr. Sinister's DNA, and Apocalypse is going to be a good guy, and while we're at it, let's make everybody gay together. None of that was like, on the page is going to happen. Even if it's what fans wanted, it wasn't on the page. Everything in this run of Daredevil was on the page. That's a very different status quo change.
1: And it's, I mean, it's a totally different mission. You know, I I feel like people come to Daredevil, uh, creatives come to Daredevil wanting to put their two cents in about this war with the hand and what it means for Elektra and Matt to fight this dark force. But Zdarsky really said, like, I want to tell you the story of the final fight and we know it won't be the final fight but he's telling it as though it will be you know marvel will go on forever and somebody else will have their two cents in this but somebody eventually has to say no let me tell you this is that this is the culmination of the 40 years this isn't just another story this is the payoff we have characters with those kinds of hope being the messiah is a storyline, and it's not nearly as old as, as you know, a lot of Daredevil storylines, but, you know, there are storylines that the X-Men can decide to pay off and say, like, this is the culmination, but really there's no promise of anything specific that has the same magnitude that, you know, the war between the hand and the fist has for Daredevil.
0: And Part of that has to do with the nature of two characters, right? Something I'm hearing a lot is how does Duggan get X-Men characters so not in line with what many writers do and many fans are looking for, and yet when he touches Daredevil, he touches Daredevil with such finesse. How is he so not capable of balancing this? I think it's because Jerry Duggan does a lot of his finest work, not all of his best work, but a lot of his finest work on character profiles. And Daredevil and the Daredevil oeuvre lends itself to a character profile, whereas I think the the mania of X-Men, the bigness of it can be so difficult. But something that I think the X-Men have long lacked is a true understanding of the villain that slips in. The problem with the X-Men is they're always like, I can't believe that this bad mutant that we forgave this one time is suddenly going evil again. Like, they're constantly doing these things where they're like, oh man, I set myself up for failure. Who'd have thunk if Wilson, through Mary, infiltrates and is part of the fall of X? He'll give the X-Men villains something they've never had. They've never had organized structure. Everybody that leads an X-Men villains team is always like, and this'll be the time I crush them for hurting my child. But like, that's not what an X-Men villain needs. An X-Men villain needs somebody to go, all right, well, this is where the money's coming from, okay? This is how much you can spend on guns. If you spend more than that on guns, no food.
1: So, a couple things. Couple. One, I think we've, we've seen shades of that in somebody like Cameron Hodge, but the mania of Cameron Hodge and his <laughs> homosexual love for Warren it oh, makes, makes the like money aspect of it very different. Wilson is, would be a unique presence on Krakoa, will be a unique presence on Krakoa, because that's the thing. In X-Men 20, Mary and Wilson arrive on the island. And this is something that when the Zdarsky run came to, not a close, but when it closed a chapter with uh, Mary and Wilson falling in love and deciding they're out. Wilson does not want to be part of this crime world. Try and be mayor. Try and hold power. He's out. He just wants Mary. He is sailing away, and they literally get in a boat and sail away. And the thing that I (laughs) we were shipping them on the ship uh, and wanted to ship them wedding presents. Um, The thing that I said to Nico as soon as they sailed away is like, they sail to Krakoa. Get on that boat. Mary has citizenship mary has the storyline that a lot of these villains that we're talking about do where is it a good idea probably not but amnesty has to be for everybody mutants have to learn how to live as a holistic culture they can't you know exclude people although somehow saber to whatever so mary gets to come to the island but of course if kyle ginadu gets to come to the island then wilson fisk gets to come to the island and wilson doesn't care about the same things that the x-men care about and i think they're not really used to villains that have such a different mo i'm kind of wondering if wilson will end up being such a villain
0: i i really think it's so dumb I, i i know what i'm pitching is really stupid but I think something that we're seeing a lot more of is a lot more attempt to bring the Spider-Man family with the X-Men family together, a lot more attempt to see a joining of things, almost like leave the Avengers off on its own. Everybody else can have a big party. And I would love to see three things. If Mary realizes that this is her chance to actually be something, to be someone, and Mary is like, Wilson, we're going legit. There's enough opportunities through the Hellfire Trading Company for you to be illicit but we must be illicit in a nearly chaotic neutral way. That's number one. Number two, I need to see Wilson understand that the mutants are the thing that is greater than him that he was always meant to be part of. As you go through Daredevil storylines, whether it's Return of the King or it's some of the stupider stuff in the early 200s, you really do start to see a lot of Wilson is desperate for certain kinds of approval. And being the mutant's human messiah would, yeah. Well, Allie, you're not oh, you far off. It. You, you nailed, nailed it completely. <laughs> um, you know, seeing Wilson do that would be great. And the number three thing I need to see is I need to see Mistress cosplay Kingpin, and I need to see Lucy cosplay Electra, and I need Lucy to take this really seriously and be like, no. I think I'm doing Electra in the spirit that she wants to be performed. And Mistress is going to come in and be like, I just want to be a big girl. <laughs> And, like, I really need that. I really need Mistress's Kingpin and Lucy's Electra. Is just like
1: Oh, and, man, I don't want to get too into this because it is an actually brilliant commentary, Nico, and, like, <laughs> Mistress's energy is the, vil- is the like, Wilson has the same energy, <laughs> just on, <laughs> on a villainous scale. Like, he just, this is how life is, baby, and, like, I'm, I'm living, I'm succeeding and I yeah, am I mean? Sure. Am I alive? Most definitely. And who the hell else can say that in our world? Um, I think you nailed exactly what is on the table. Of course, we have no idea what's going to happen. This could end in one more issue. This could be the rest of, you know, their time on Krakoa it could be Marion Wilson time. We don't know, but I think you really have identified the components that we find interesting. Um, you know, w- one thing that we really fell in love with was young Emma being tied to Elektra as another contractor and subordinate of the Kingpin coming up in Devil's Reign, and how Emma and Elektra related to each other as professionals that were in a very tight spot who were both women who were very powerful but were not beat the Kingpin powerful yet. And at the same time, we got two stories from Ann Nesenti... Uh, connecting Electra and Mary, who, of course, you know, are just connected because they're part of Matt's world. But they got this history together where they have spent time together and they have shared pain and trauma together. And it just makes Mary so much more of a complex and interesting character. And what it says to me is these things are on the table for Mary with so many people on Krakoa We have seen her interact with them in Clay McLeod Chapman's uh, Typhoid Fever. Brilliant
0: three-part series, Typhoid Fever, everybody should go out. Everything Clay McLeod Chapman has done for Marvel has been something we've enjoyed on this team, so just can't show it hard enough.
1: Absolutely, and you know, we saw the X-Men identify, like, Mary, you're one of us. And when they are in their island paradise and everything is being taken to the next level, what could that mean? I think it could mean really beautiful things. Doesn't mean they all have to be good and she's going to get on the team and be an X-Man. But yeah, if, if Sebastian Shaw can do good for Krakoa under the Hellfire Trading Company, simply Wilson Fisk can too. And it's, it would be cool to see. And I think that's what we're looking at.
0: And I'm going to put something out there that I think we all need to remember. Uh, thick boys are hot as hell. <laughs> and like he's a big big boy he's he's got that he's got that cuffing season energy he, like i need scisor to come out here and dance with me right now he uh, shoulder
1: presses like 800 pounds i mean he,
0: so and like if you want to see a master class in artwork kingpin's volume under Klaus jansen in mm-hmm. that classic miller era uh you know team member nathan just bought the miller omnibus and he's gonna get to some images where like it's just that overhead press man like it's such a beautiful character design um we always see masculine power presented as musculature uh but i really love that in some ways it is presented as this near sense of dramatic obesity that is also power and strength um and you know i so my dad my dad my my sainted father uh i'm like paulo rivera like that for a daredevil reference uh you know i talk comics with my dad still all the time and he doesn't read the books you know he, he's very like uh what did they do to captain america <laughs> uh, so he doesn't really read but he he listens really well and i'm telling him about what's going on and he's like you're telling me that the x-men are gonna give wilson fisk a pass if he went after like spider-man's family and i was like what do you think wilson fisk does on a thursday he goes after spider-man's family what the, what are the Avengers gonna do? Waste all of Tony Stark's money, not having more money than Wilson Fisk? Like, congratulations! Like, and that was not at my dad. That's at the nature of of these stories, kind of, sort of. And you know, For, what did yeah. Apocalypse
1: do on a Thursday?
0: You know, I sometimes think about the fact that we have the sor- the the Sorcerer Supreme and we have the scientist supreme in Monica Rappaccini. Who I think is fantastic, uh, and her daughter Scorpion, equally fantastic. Not enough gets done with that family. Um, but one of my big thoughts is couldn't we have like a financial analyst supreme, not being too silly, but his magic, his who he is, his financial control over the world runs multiversally?
1: I, I think that's a really like. A a really cool just like off the cuff pitch but really so much stuff happens with money in the Marvel universe on a super heroic like financially super heroic scale it really isn't a silly idea you might hear that and be like financial guy supreme but think about when we talk about Frost Industries Worthington Industries Xavier for some reason just has so much money I think his dad invested in IBM in like 1901 or something like no I think he exploits his children yeah there's that too um there's just so much money going around and you hear these things where it's like i just made an acquisition i'm emma frost i just bought an island really cool totally fine of course you need to have that but if people can you know bench press or, you know, shoulder press 800 pounds, they have to be able to wield money in that same way, and I want to see where that goes, and I want to see those moves being more than just, well, I spent this amount of money, I spent this amount of money, but really, like, this is the way the world has changed, and people could be in danger, and people could be saved because of where I allocated funds.
0: Well, speaking of, people could die, that's right, TK, people die. Um, we went on a, a a deep dive journey, a weird a weird world <laughs> journey, as it were, and we looked at every page of the MC Two universe, which eventually led us to uh, falling in love with the incredible Renew Your Vows universe and the incredible uh, slew of creators on that title. Uh, specifically later on, where there was an all female creative team for a little bit on that book, just such an incredible moment for Spider books, right? Uh, really proud of them for that. But in the course of that, when we looked at MC2, there was a character that really caught our attention. We were obsessed with this character. They are so connected to Kingpin, and they're actually connected to something else we're going to be reading today. None other than Dark Devil. Now, Dark Devil is one of my favorite things to come out of the MC2 universe. This kid is Hollow's Eve's son, who is possessed sort of by the battling spirits of matt murdoch who has become some sort of catholic super angel and Zarathos, one of the ghost rider demons and they both live in dark devil's soul at the same time and he is the child of uh ben riley and ben riley's girlfriend who is hollow's eve
1: Elizabeth Tyne, uh, now it's like Janice, Sun- I, I can't call her anything, Janine, it's, it's Janine, Janine Turner, Janine and she,
0: no, it's Janine Turner, and she stars in Northern Exposure.
1: <laughs> she's Elizabeth Tyne, she's Janine Gabney, she's just this like one-off character from the 90s that Ben Riley cloned of Peter Parker, encountered a bunch of times, and you know, they had trysts and adventures, and that's in like 94, 95-ish. And DeFalco comes in, you know, four or five years later and says, Oh, you know, if we're in the fu- Spider Man's alternate future, of course, Ben Riley would have had a whole life too. And Ben Riley and this woman might have had a child. And that child, Riley Tyne, for some reason might be possessed by the spirit of Matt Murdock and Sarathos. That part, yeah, it's insane. I can't explain that part. But the idea that, you know, in a future where Peter Parker has a 16 year old daughter, that Ben Riley would have a son, uh, and you know he would have he would have that song with Elizabeth Tyne that all makes total sense and it was the fact that elizabeth was showing up again uh in the beyond era was just kind of in the back of my head but then the announcement that hollows eve was going to be in um dark rain not dark rain um
0: oh um uh uh yeah, that one. The that one. one, one. About, yeah. Just ended. The one that just ended. Uh, yeah,
1: with Madeline Pryor. I, I'm completely blanking on the name, and that's the silliest thing in the world. Evil but...
0: hell spider. <laughs> evil hell spider people. Chasm Lebl- and friends. Devil's web. Hot web. Hot hot, web. hot cross webs.
1: Yep, hot cross web. Dark web. Dark web! <laughs> we, we got there. Um, truly, I'm impressed with us. Uh, we're really smart. Um
2: It's been a long day, folks,
1: that Elizabeth Tyne was going to be a major player in Dark Web, and then that was going to spin off into a title. Again, it's just this thing where, like, because we do these deep dive investigations, it feels like I'm getting a gift when, after a year of reading about uh, Elizabeth Tyne's son here she is back in the Marvel universe and a major player in Hollow's Eve number one.
3: Well,
0: I am so excited to talk about this with uh, the whole team. We have the incredible Tori Sheehan coming in later who went ahead and she got her ass to read Dark Devil. So she's ready to talk about it. Okay. Uh, And, you know, I, I am frankly married to Dank Devil. So, you know, we are all in this to do it. But we could not be talking about the celebration of women characters and women writers and the ability to compare these characters, right? Because we're not just talking about um, Daredevil, you know, we would be talking, I'm so sorry, I said Daredevil, and I didn't mean Daredevil. We're not just talking about like the New Mutants, we're talking about the New Mutants and comparing them to the original iteration, right? So we have an exciting journey ahead of us, and I can't imagine doing it without our amazing team. So I would like to call to the stage. None other than the very own Hollow's Eve of the X-Team. Uh, I can't think of anybody who can transform by mask faster. So, Evelyn, welcome to the cosplay stage. Oh, I think you're muted. I. Oh, wait. There we go. We were all excited to unmute you. We all got uh, super, super into it. So... Okay, Evelyn, I am so excited to have you here. Please, tell everybody where they can find you on the interwebs.
4: Well, hi, I'm Evelyn, the Comic Canary. You can find me at Comic underscore Canary on both Instagram and Twitter.
0: Well, I'm super thrilled to have you here. And I want to start off with, first of all, which books on today's docket did you take a look at?
4: So, I read X-23 and New Mutants. Um, I, I ran out of time reading everything else, but...
1: This is why, we, you know, um, we we specify, like, this specifically because some people don't even run out of time. They're just like, I don't want to read Shadow Clones.
4: and No, that's I wanted totally to fine. read Hallow's Eve and Gwen Stacy. I've just been a little sick, but I wanted to, like, read, like, the two that's, like, held my attention the most.
0: So, all right, let me ask you a question just to kick things off. I need to know when you think of these this this sort of like new wave of this reimagining of characters the new take on new mutants the new take on gwen stacy what do you think of when you imagine like the new face of marvel
4: so i have different opinions on both of those actually um i wouldn't really say my opinions on both of them are the same when it comes to the new mutants i think that they're taking it in a way because Just mutants and X-Men in general have, obviously we have this whole new dynamic going on with Krakoa and how they're interacting with the rest of the world, and I find it very interesting that they're taking these new mutant characters and putting, and like, seeing how they respond to the whole thing, because not everyone is totally happy with Krakoa, versus we have Spider-Gwen, and... She's just coming into her own. She's just having her own adventures. They're putting her in new situations and seeing how it goes and introducing a lot of different alternate universes of her. And it's more like they're creating the world based around her kind of thing. So it's like for New Mutants, I think they are taking these characters we love and throwing them in a new situation... But for Spider-Gwen, they're like, this is an amazing character. Let's see what she can do in
1: other situations.
4: She is the new situation. She is the new situation, yes. She is the moment.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Well, speaking of the situation and the moment, there is another voice I am hungry to get the way and opinion on for this. You know, when I think about people who have very specific things they're looking for, from, like, the evolution of comics, I know team member Jake's... uh, personal view on comics is comics are for everyone and so i would love to have jake come on in and tell us a little bit more about how they feel about the modern face of comics as they've been reimagined for things like x-23 as the new wolverine and i know i'm forgetting a book uh it's, it's, cosmic uh, ghostwriter Cosmi- how did i forget cosmic ghostwriter and uh cosmic ghost you know cosmic ghostwriter yeah so if we could bring jake in uh, number one, oh, I have to oh. imagine between uh, Punisher and Ghost Rider and Child of Thanos, and uh, there, I, I can't stop listing things where you, I can't imagine you cared.
5: <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you. Let me tell you. I sat down to read Cosmic Ghost Rider and I was like, hey, Spirit of Variance, I'm there. I can get into- I found a way into Ghost Rider. I opened that book and like the first thing I saw was Frank Castle and I was just like, who has done this to me? Who has tricked me into reading a Punisher book? I'm I'm gonna
1: love, make I feel so bad because I really thought you knew. And no, I really just, thought when I asked I you didn't. to read it, you knew that I was asking you for a favor because I was making you read a Frank Castle. Play. I will Even say battery, this, though. Based
0: on the tattoo. Johnny Cates saw somebody's flaming head ghost Rider, punisher hybrid tattoo and was like, I'm going to make a whole comic book about your tattoo.
5: I mean, honestly, though, what a, what a surprise um, because – I found myself giving a damn by the end of it, and I was so, I was just like, well, all right, here we are, here we are, the pun, here we are, Frank Castle, you and I come to terms, um, yeah, that was amazing, uh, I, I, no, no one's ever been able to do that before to me, and I'm very picky, so I'm I'm very pleased by this turn of events.
0: All right, well, I want to start in with uh, a book that I know that I believe you both looked at. Jake, did you also have a chance to look at X Twenty Three? Oh, I looked so, at it all So X and hot So I want to take a look at X23 number 1 And I want to posit a question This was an incredible first issue By Erica Schultz, Edgar Salazar Carlos Lopez, VCs Corey Pettit And editor Mark Basso I'm gonna level I, This was just kind of an X23 number 1 for me This wasn't like It didn't reinvent the wheel But I have an incredible thing to To share with you guys the wheel has worked this whole time. <laughs> so even though this felt in some ways like claw by numbers, I was relieved that it explored the character I love, even if there was some forsaking of newness. Now, I would love to get your guys' reaction to this issue before we look at the bigger picture of comparative Wolverines.
5: <laughs> I mean, I think that this was this was a charming reintroduction to the character for anyone who has like jumped on in the last few years and been like, "So who is this? Who is Girl Wolverine? Who we're just calling Wolverine? That's just like a, I want to visually qualify that for people who are new." Um, so this is some good a good opportunity for some backstory without having to like go too heavy into like issue references. So I appreciate it, though. I will say the 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 pickup point in. Her in Laura's timeline was the one thing that I was like, oh, okay, we're doing it here. We're starting at Utopia era.
4: That's what I really like too is that they they picked an era and then they stuck with it. Yeah. Because um I feel like her story just wasn't finished from the stuff that um has been evolving. But her story, there's so much to tell. And so I was really, like, that's why I was, like, really excited for this comic in general because it was, like, telling us that this was going to be a new stories from an older era that we can explore her character more and her past more. And that's
2: what got me on board in the first
1: place. And for me, it went to that place of, like, you know you're big when they will give you a five-issue mini about a previous slice of your life mm-hmm. you know that that marvel said like we you know she's got a, a a another version of herself who is older and in love with a guy that she wasn't sure she loved she has a sister she has a brother that we're not doing those stories <laughs> and instead we're doing a flashback to a really important character in her life but that marvel said we can spare the time and we can give a woman the chance to do some background character building, mm-hmm. that's when you know you're big. And it's such a tough thing because, of course, this is X-23, Deadly Regenesis, not Wolverine, Deadly Regenesis. But at the same time, she got it. She's in there.
0: And I have, okay, so to that, though,
2: yeah. mm-hmm.
0: Gambit got a five-issue miniseries recently. Um, actual question for you. When was Monet's five-issue miniseries? When was Cannonball's five-issue miniseries? When has there been a five-issue miniseries for Danny Moonstar, for Karma? When has there been a five-issue miniseries for Mondo? Chamber had one four-issue miniseries. Rogue hasn't had an ongoing in like a decade. Where are all of those characters' miniseries? And this isn't meant as a complaint. This is, so now we're saying those characters don't get them but Laura does. Now, Laura doesn't just get one with the name Wolverine. Laura sells the book. And, you know, to that end, if we could bring up the Wolverine slide, I would just love to, as we discuss this, have a visual representation of the Wolverines that you currently could be Wolverining. We, of course, have the love of my life, my dream bottom, my everything, Logan, all the way on the left. We have who I kind of see myself as, plus way more body fat, Akihiro, um, just generously everywhere you want to put it. And then we have Laura. This is the two men who have borne the name Wolverine, and now the woman who wears it so effing good, nobody questions it that has taste. So I want to know how you guys feel about this Point in Logan Timeline, or in Wolverine Timeline?
4: Well, for starters, I'm still waiting on the Wolverine um, family vacation, mm-hmm. um, comedy, um, Lampoon-style crazy adventure. I'm just, I'm waiting for it. It's, it's a necessity at this point. Come on, Marvel. Like, <laughs>
2: pick
4: it up already. Um, <laughs> but that being said, I really like how... We do have Laura as Wolverine, and within the universe, no one's questioning it. Like, in the universe, it's like, oh yeah, she's Wolverine. Logan's Wolverine. They're, they're both Wolverine. Okay, let's go. And um, I, and then, of course, like, the rest of the family, like, Akiro is just, he's amazing. He, he's my bisexual son, who I will protect until the end of this earth. Um, And even Gabby um, Like rolling in there Is just really great
0: Gabby yeah that's a really You know I I was like working so hard Not to accidentally put the Wolverine daughter From MC2 Wild Thing (laughs) I was working so hard Not to accidentally put Wild Thing On this list because this has been like An all MC2 episode by accident That I was really afraid That uh, and I, I forgot Gabby Honey badger well, me up.
1: But I will say this about Gabby in co- in the context of what we're talking about: these three work so hard to ensure that Gabby does not have to be Wolverine.
2: Mm.
1: That though she is a you know a part of that totemic symbology of Wolverine, she is the one that if they can take care of properly and raise in a way that they didn't get raised, she does not have to become Wolverine. She well, can it's...
5: still be a superhero. It's choice. they're giving her the choice that they never yes. had they were they were they were forced into the lives that they lead. they were forced into the violence and the trauma. and oh, Gabby, yeah. you know, Gabby was young when she was taken out of all of that, and she has the chance to to grow up and have friends and to you know, no one ever gets out of childhood fully without trauma. but like, you know, at the very least, she can look at her Wolverine family. And see the things that she wants to grow into and not be forced to grow into them, but with, like, a a gun to her head or the, you know.
4: So I have a new pitch for a Wolverine family. Like, I still (laughs) need my um, National (laughs) Lampoon one, but now just Gabby going to, like, middle school and just the hijinks of all of the different, like, adults in her life just picking her up from school with like, <laughs> like middle school and high school drama. And that's so much worse than the superhero
5: stuff. Oh, Gabby Degrassi would be perfect. Yes.
1: And I think we start to see exactly what we're talking about in, I mean, we've started to see it already in new mutants and it's continuing in mm-hmm. lethal Legion, which, um, you know, I, I is a fantastic story. I, I, If I have one complaint, it is that the shift from the ongoing to this five-issue mini doesn't maybe make the most sense to me. I'm sure there are financial and logistical reasons behind it, but this just feels like the next issue of New Mutants, and I'm hoping that Lethal Legion is going to sell in a good way, but Nico, what?
0: Counterpoint. Yeah, I think it reads like no New Mutants book ever before, and I think calling it New Mutants is this bizarre hesitation and uh, like near apologetic reticence to be something new Mm -hmm. the words new mutants what do they even mean right it's not like new in the way that we use new for new x-men it's not new in the way that we use uh you know superior to mean a reimagining this is just new mutants and what this creative team over on new mutants led by charlie jane anders is trying to accomplish as something really different uh if we could pull up that new mutant slide the thing that the new mutants crew is forging forward is a brave attempt to force in and it is forcing in. i'm not i'm not going to play games about this this is not an organic introduction of new characters this was one day i opened a book called new mutants and they were like and we're about your old characters. Here are some new ones. Mm-hmm. Good. The book is called New Mutants. So that Charlie Jane Anders, Enid Balaam, Elisabetta Damico, VCs Travis Lanham and Sarah Bronstad are providing us with. Hard right. it? Right. Wait. I it, I have a really good car alarm impression, but it's a little funny looking. Wait. Ready? It's a little funny. Right. Oh my god. <laughs> That's how my life. family plays the bagpipes. Your family's amazing. Um, But uh, just this book looks like no other book in the world. It reads like no other book in the world. I wish this was called X Lethal Legion, Lethal Legion X Men, something. Because the New Mutants being in this book isn't a weakness, but it's certainly not the feature.
1: I really accept that. You know, I, I think we're talking about like two different ways to pitch it. I like yours better. Uh, mine is just like you know charlie jane picked up where vita left off in the original new in this previous new mutants run why stop it just let her keep going but you're right this did over time evolve into another story and i think maybe calling it something entirely different and really identifying this era and this group of young people most of whom are shepherded by the previous new mutants team Yeah, yeah yeah i
5: see that well, they were going really well as the Lost Club for a while. I really I wish oh, they w- we had thing. stuck with that. Or even if it was gonna be a New Mutants colon new mutants, the Lost Club would have appealed to me a lot further. Um because
0: for Sutherland as like Charles Xavier with some hair. <laughs>
5: i mean oh gosh i mean I, I was even when you know when this when that that run of new mutants launched and you had that intermingling of like generation x characters with new mutants characters you know i was it still felt like a new mutants book it was still you know operating in that mode of like we are you know we're exploring ourselves we're exploring our feelings we're growing as people because that's always what new mutants has been about it's about these characters having these substantial arcs and growing and not, not being in the same place that they were at the beginning of the story. Um, I've always, you know, that's something that's always stood out to me and they took that and they've applied it to these new characters. We've got, you know, collected from, you know, bits before and bits during the Krokoan era. And it's really, you know, it's an opportunity to play with new characters using this formula and show us new kinds of growth and new reflections of ourselves that we might not have had in previous iterations, you know, it's it's wonderful seeing more trans characters. It's wonderful seeing more gender non-conforming characters, visible mutants who you know reflect all sorts of you know inner and external realities that readers experience. Um, but yeah, is it New Mutants? No, it's a different. It's kind of a spinoff of New Mutants, which is great. Let's let's honor that. It's it's whatever Generation X was.
0: It could have been called Daydreamers, and that also would have been really really cool.
5: Ah, that'd be a nice reference. Oh yes. yeah. It
0: wasn't
4: necessarily a new beat mutants book for me. Um I still picked it up because the characters themselves I really like. So I was just curious where they were going to go with it. I will say though a criticism I have is it felt a little choppy to me with the way that it the plot went.
0: Like, like segmented I, scenes. Mm-hmm. The way it
4: was segmented. Like usually it doesn't bother me. It just it just felt a little off this time. Um, for me, um, it took me out of the book a few times, but I really I'm interested in where the story is going. The plot did interest me, and the characters do seem really interesting. but, yeah, the the choppiness for me kind of brought me out of it a little bit.
0: Well, speaking of choppiness, uh, the new mutants have long had a choppy relationship. and the <laughs> the nature of the team never really lasts very long so even if this version of New Mutants doesn't uh, tickle your tickle spot it's probably not too long before you're looking at a new version of the New Mutants now on this next slide we have you know a a selection of New Mutants and I want to point out a super fan Ally Galactic's comment in the chat I'm still so full of spite over Vita not writing New Mutants that I haven't read New Mutants you know, having having been lucky enough to be friendly with Vita for years, you know, seeing a voice that I'd like literally come up with in the industry that I knew needed to be the voice on this kind of book. Seeing them have the chance and then whatever happened at Marvel that the decision was made that this hideous, ugly person who was so hideous and ugly of Vita's work was put on the cover of an issue of Vita's New Mutants, I don't blame them for whatever decision they had to make to leave, Uh, but it also does mean that we never really had a number one by Vita. We have number one by Chris Claremont and Bob McLeod. We, of course, have the number one by Nunzio DiFilippis and Christina Ware. We have the number one by Zeb Wells. Everybody forgets Zeb Wells wrote New Mutants Hmm. forever ago. The number one by Jonathan Hickman with Ed Brisson. And then we have This issue, I think New Mutants is the least consistent thing that the X-Men does. And I'm including things like uh, the quality of character on Jean Grey. So (laughs) this is really one of those things where if you don't like this team, it's unfortunate that you won't have to wait very long because, while I don't think this is New Mutants this has a place at marvel this has a place on the shelves this has a place in my world and i am concerned that calling it new mutants shelf lives
5: there is this kind of regression to the mean when it comes to any title with new mutants you know you can introduce all the new characters you want but when it comes down to it you're always going to come back to a certain core group yeah um that you know is, is is tied to the original group like fundamentally um there's no, there's definitely no outrunning that, and that's why giving, giving this, this new team, this young team, this newest generation, their own title, um, to kind of separate them off might have made a little more sense, um, and 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 would have given them a little more, hopefully give them more staying power. I, I hope they have, I want them to have staying power, but you know, giving them a little more independence and pairing off, a little more branding identity that's their own, um, so that they can like lift off the page. I think that would have been a good thing.
4: Yeah, and going off of what Nico said at, like, the beginning of the segment, where New Mutants, it it doesn't translate the same way that, like, X-Factor or X-Men does, where it's like, that's the name of the team, and the roster is constantly changing. Um, instead, it's a name where it's just like, these are New Mutants, and the name just doesn't translate as well as a team name, I guess, because of the way that the meaning is meant to be interpreted. Yeah. And I think instead, like, coming up with new fun names, I mean, yeah, we make fun of them sometimes with some of the stupid <laughs> names they come up with. But it's better than, like, trying to get some clout off of something that in the end doesn't make a lot of sense.
5: Well, they got so much mileage off of using old uh, old titles and old team names in the Cohen era, and there's so much they could have pulled from. I mean, I think Daydreamers would have been... Really cool and such a nice reference to like a really odd little Generation X spin-up. I mean they never barely ever refer to themselves as Generation X. That's not a team name. I mean I guess technically it is, but like not a not an easy one to say. Like we need Generation like X a Gen Z. Like we
4: need like the Z Men, where <laughs> it's Gen Zers doing like their their thing, but like as superheroes and that would be amazing.
0: That's they ecstatic. are here That's to disrupt your politics they are millennial x
4: <laughs> yeah. yeah a millennial one would be really funny too but i think gen z a little bit more so than Millennials, because at least millennials were like a little jaded gen z just doesn't care anymore so <laughs> so I just imagine them, like, making a TikTok of a villain, being like, look at this loser. I think he needs some help. Do you need therapy, sir? Like, that's what I imagine. I have so many pitches today. Marvel,
0: <laughs> today. You know, the X-Men always tired of rooting for the anti-hero. So... Um... <laughs>
1: Uh, I do really quickly just want to speak to what Allie is saying about you know being disappointed that Vita's not writing this anymore mm-hmm. and wanting to give a fair shake to the new one when you kind of calm down from that, that anger. I totally get it. I was really disappointed for exactly the reasons that Nico described. Mm-hmm. If I could have picked anybody to take Vita's mantle, Charlie Jane Anders would have been very high on that list. Uh, she is an incredible writer, She's an incredible person. Um, I think she shares a lot of similar concerns and experiences and interests. And um, I think she is really doing justice to the groundwork that uh, Vita laid out. Uh, You know, something we've mentioned before is that uh, Vita created a ton of characters in Mm -hmm. The Age of X-Men and figured out how to import them all onto Krakoa when, you know, mutants were all back. These characters from the alternate universe, turns out they have an our universe counterpart and they all exist now and they're all queer. And by the way,
0: I'm Terran. Sorry. I just (laughs) just had
1: to. They are, it's a big group of LGBTQIA plus kids and Vita got them into the background and a little bit in the foreground of this new mutants run and uh, Charlie Jane Anders has, has picked up the ball and run with it, and made sure that a lot of these characters get to continue. Yes, we need something where a Gen Z mutant calls somebody Chugi. <laughs> Sold. Um, but yes, Vita did amazing work. I think Charlie really is picking up on it, which is not to say, you know, read it uh, now, but uh, it's... I I do think that the right person is succeeding, Vita.
0: Well, I want to thank you all for starting this conversation on this episode so well and uh, getting going so, so hard. Now, I believe, Evelyn, we are coming to the end of our lovely time with you, but I would love for everybody to, number one, be able to know where they can find you online. And number two, I would love your parting thoughts. When you look at the past of Wolverine and the future of Wolverine or the past of New Mutants and the future thereof, what do you most hope to see for this transition of time?
4: So, I've been a huge fan of Laura since she appeared on X-Men Evolution. That was like that was my show, okay? Um and then having my younger brother having Wolverine being one of his favorite heroes, like it like it was just natural that she would like warm her way into my heart and I've always had a soft spot for just young heroes in general as well with the New Mutants. So I would just like to see them continue with this new era of Krakoa where they are pointing out issues. They are pointing out things that aren't exactly great and still need a lot of help with and progress that needs to be made. And I think that Laura is a great new um, addition to like the main X-Men team being like the new Wolverine and just like like being there and just being her hilarious self versus the new mutants where I would like to see more commentary on Krakoa versus like other Western culture.
0: Well, now I have one more question for you. And this one is just for me because I'm a bad, bad bastard man. But um, what are you most excited about, about Typhoid Mary and Kingpin coming to Krakoa? And is it the best day of your comic book reading life? And I can barely Um, restrain my joy asking this
5: question. Oh, my God.
4: So, okay, you're going to hate me. I'm I'm not... I don't know that much about Typhoid Mary. I don't dislike her like her. I just haven't had much experience with her. That being said, Kingpin... I know you're going to change this after I said that, but... (laughs) (laughs) I can already feel the text messages. But um, for Kingpin, for Fisk, I've always had a soft spot for him. I've always been like, he's got to be a mutant of some sort. Like, from just how he is, like, physically and mentally, and I just again, not saying I'm a supervillain, but if I was, he would, I, I would be very similar to him, so <laughs> yet again, I have to explicitly say I'm not a supervillain,
0: villain. I'm very excited to come
4: to Kuroa, because let's be honest, we already, like we're not swearing on this podcast, but things have happened with Mr. Sinister that we, we are shouldn't really be saying <laughs> In Blade Society. But now we're having this come in, and it's like, we're like, what? what have we not learned our lessons
1: here? <laughs> He's Mr. <laughs> financially Sinister. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, just, I can't <laughs> wait for just
4: interactions with him and Emma. That's just, that's going to be top tier for
0: me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Man, I can't wait. And it has been such a pleasure having your voice on our show. And until we return next time, Evelyn, where can we find you on the interwebs? You
4: can find me on Instagram and Twitter at comic underscore canary.
0: Well, we can't wait, and thank you so much for being with us. And we'll have you with us again next week. Okay, see you then. See you then. Now, Jake, me, Jake, Jake, Jake. Jamie. I believe it is uh, highly possible you don't read Daredevil. Um, uh, the the tip off is that I know you and you don't. So well,
5: you know, I'm a big fan of his work.
0: Oh yeah, actually you love you love vigilante justice in in the name, and the um,
5: law. The rooftop and it, leapings.
0: And mm-hmm. violent Catholicism. Also but, uh, um, actually yeah.
5: Oh what's his face who plays him? I like him. I like Charlie him. Cox. I like Charlie like Cox. Cox. Oh yeah. Yeah. I like him a lot. No, I don't I meant Ben no no hate, but like Charlie Cox is who I meant. Right. You know,
0: yeah. I'm, a, I'm a bit more of a Jen Garner kind of guy. So <laughs> um my question for you then same question how do you feel about uh i mean it is it is no secret you can like go back to the first episode of x's for podcast or so and i say you know the only thing that would make the x-men better is if kingpin the best villain in the marvel universe would join the experts because i do think he's the best villain in the marvel universe by far he's my doctor doom
5: i would love to see a fight between wilson Fisk and sebastian shaw Done, I in. want it to be. I don't want it to be a fisticuffs, although that certainly would be fun. I want it to be an economic duel because I also think that either of those two could be great candidates for the previously explored idea of the econo- economist supreme. Yeah, as I am as referring to them from now on. Love um, yeah. it, economist supreme. So. Uh, but but if, if this is is this more Wilson Fisk or a Typhoid Mary question? Because I, I can answer the Typhoid Mary question. I have some input on all that. All of your bliss. Okay. Well, honestly, I think Mary should get there and be like, where's my friend Jesse Drake? <laughs> That's all I care about. In Assuming... this in this era, in this era where we are getting um we're getting we're getting a lot more trans representation on Krakoa, I want Marvel's first on page trans character who is a mutant. To find her way to Krakoa and either thumbs up, thumbs down, or get that, you know, just let's just have a reaction to it. Um, you know, we had her for such a brief appearance in Marvel Voice's Pride a couple years ago. Um, and and that's that's all we've really gotten from Jesse Drake, who had a really awesome Typhoid Mary story back in the day. Um, so that's that's what I want. I want I want a little more I want I want more of that. Um and Ascenti, if you're if you're if you're listening, if you're watching, just just know we love you for that character and uh, and we want to see more. But Jacob,
1: I, I do want to push you a little bit because uh, I love this idea. I don't know that it is the most likely thing in the next 12 months, let's say. In the next 12 months or maybe like up to the gala or what have you, is there anything about Wilson or Typhoid Mary that you are at all uh, you know, thinking about or wondering about or excited about
5: I think Wilson Fisk is gonna find his way onto the Quiet Council. I think he's I gonna be it. the first human, and I think he's gonna probably take like Sinister's seat or something. He's gonna be one of the adversarial seats, and that's that's my prediction. And I think it'd be awesome because I think it would send a lot of strong yes. signals about Kirkoan uh, like Kirk equality, you know, the need to represent humans who live on the island. Um it's Wilson Fisk, so he's obviously bringing that economic uh, powerhouse and that, 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 I don't want to say criminal mastermind, but certainly he's got a way for a hierar- hierarchy and manipulation. Um, is, is Wilson Fisk going to sue me now? <laughs> right? No, he just tried to mean?
0: resurrect his child. Oh,
5: Oh. So just
0: okay. in King's Ransom, a Spider-Man story, he just tried to have his son resurrected, so like and now the, the mut- Phoenix
5: Foundation's for yeah. yeah
0: and now with the Phoenix Foundation oh my god so I I just think that Kingpin is Kingpin is like the greatest villain in the Marvel Universe um, because the thing he has that for my money a Thanos doesn't or that a Doctor Doom doesn't is when you weaken Fisk when you get him to show his underbelly like you know the soft spot he cries like I don't know. I I don't mean to romanticize a monster, but I think Vincent D'Onofrio is one of the greatest vit- live action performances of any character ever. Mm-hmm. I think that they are recasting Vanessa. Like I am weirdly obsessed with Vanessa, and you know, Daredevil fans tend to be. Vanessa is a character like when you go to this the Kingpin of the sewers. There's like a storyline where uh, there is like literally like a, a sewer man, like a mole sewer man version of Kingpin. Who lives under the sewers and has Vanessa kidnapped because he is like literally the underground mirror of Kingpin and wants her to be his. And you embarrassed me in fucking Vanessa! And he's got a fucking card in there. Um, but I I don't know. I think Vanessa is one of the best characters in comics. And Typhoid Mary just carries on a legacy of women in Wilson's life that now Emma is part of. And mm-hmm. I I don't know. This is like, this is like the most excited I could possibly be for something to happen to the X-Men because Daredevil doesn't belong with the X-Men. It, you know, Daredevil's theological need to predicate everything in his life on a higher power is so at odds with his nature as somebody who is in the superhero host superhero <laughs> community. So I think sometimes that he is so like I understand you're a Norse god, but Catholic god, and even really? though they can't both exist, like his nature, he just doesn't need to also add Krakoa. But Wilson, ripe for the picking.
5: I really, I think that I think that uh, Nightcrawler and Daredevil could have some really great, like some really great conversations about theology. And in fact, I would love to see someone do that miniseries. Get me a Jesuit priest who knows how to write comic books.
0: Well- Absolutely, but then put it in that. Don't just stick Daredevil in the X Men and hope for the best. No
5: no, 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 no. But I think I think you make I think you make important points about uh, uh, this conflict between like the the life of the vigilante and the life, of, like the, the 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 theological value system that he's like not really upholding super well. Um, as <laughs> so many of us struggle and fall. I mean, well, he so got married true, outside
0: but... of a church, so. And I bet <sighs> he even eats meat on Fridays.
5: Do you see oh, Kurt
1: trying to uh, preach the spark to Matt?
0: Well, you know, I, I, on that, Matt has Matt has the spark. like let's yeah. let's be really real. <laughs> one of the reasons the reason that Matt can like there's a one of my favorite arcs ever Decalogue. Matt is able to use the power of his so Matt's sense of self is his second greatest power. We learned this in Daredevil number three or Daredevil number four back in 1964, where Daredevil is able to resist the power of the purple man simply because of his conviction of self. The thing that makes Daredevil without fear is a complete sense of self-knowledge, which is why he falters when he doesn't have that sense of self. Hmm. So Daredevil's ability to never lose sight of his belief is the central tenet of Daredevil, which is what Electra focuses to uphold in being Daredevil, she has to uphold Matt's Mm -hmm. ideals, because Elektra is sort of like a godless Ronin, and she accepts the God that she needs for the job. So she's stepping into the role of fake Catholic to promote the role that Daredevil has proposed is necessary to this non-Catholic God's interpretation of doomsday. So she's hedging her bets on everybody's self-delusion carrying this across the field, And the reason it's going to work is because Matt's equivalent of the spark allows him to make these sorts of mistakes without hesitation. He doesn't not think they're mistakes, but he doesn't flinch when making them. And that's something that he and Nightcrawler have in common greatly, but Nightcrawler does it in a way that doesn't involve alcohol.
1: (laughs) And then I guess my follow-up to that is where does frank castle fit on that scale as we see him interacting with daredevil now and does that person have anything to do with the person that we see in cosmic ghost rider
0: uh, frank castle sucks
1: <laughs> true uh,
0: that is my asmr reference and uh, answer yeah frank castle sucks it,
5: it, it, so is is this old man punisher is that what i'm supposed to read from no,
0: this he's uh an alternate universe's thanos's son frank castle what he was raised by thanos but he's still
5: frank <laughs> he's still frank castle. oh my god what does that just, even mean
0: his war was just interdimensional
5: no no did, his, he, did she, he, he still lose his lost family Mar- to, the, to the to organize crime? He
1: still lost Maria and the kids. Yes.
5: Like like, but he was still he was. Was it in was it space Maria and space kids? <laughs> <laughs> I need Space West Side Story so bad. I want to live in space
0: America.
1: I want to live in the solar system.
5: Space but America.
0: It's like mostly the same until Thanos is like. Be my boy. And oh. Um, Frank, oh like, it's like that, is it? Yeah, and Frank is just kinda like Okay. In this world, his brain oh, He's
5: taking a lot of blows to the head. Yeah, Come on, <laughs> poor guy. Some T B I issues. Poor guy.
1: Um But I mean, does this have anything to do does Cosmic have anything to do with what we're seeing and can we, can we put the two together in any way that is useful?
0: Only one way to find out. We have to ask Jonah.
1: Oh, yeah, we do.
0: it's time to bring in the one and the only, peak Jonah, who I'm sure has all of the answers to everything related to Frank Castle, Ghost Rider, The Hand, Daredevil. There isn't a mystery Jonah doesn't have the answer to. So uh, let's bring it in and see if he can answer all of this for us. All right, Jonah, this is it. Number one, who are you? Where can we find you? And uh, tell us, what is does Frank Castle matter, or does uh, Cosmic Ghost Rider matter? Which one? Which one is it, bruh? Uh, hello,
6: everyone. It is me, Jonah. You can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram, at Jonah. That's P-E-A-K. And I... The only Frank Castle I like is Savage Avengers Frank Castle, where his only dialogue was, where's my family? Family. Truly. Family. uh, Family. Yeah, Don't do it. Family. Dom Toretto of uh, the Marvel Universe. Uh, I would love to see, um... (laughs) I was going to buy his birth name, not uh, Vin Diesel, not by his actor name of Vin Diesel. (laughs) I would love to see Vin Diesel as Frank Castle. Um... Family. Unfortunately (laughs) for me, Frank Castle isn't really a character that does much for me. Um, I do think the concept of Cosmic Ghost Rider is cool. I don't know if Frank Castle being Cosmic Ghost Rider really adds or takes away anything from that. It's just kind of a, you know, you have this really, you have a cool concept of Ghost Rider but space but you can make anybody cool if you're a ghostwriter in space. I, I don't think Frank really adds anything to that. So uh, it's unfortunate, but Frank Castle does nothing for me. May.
5: Maybe they could Moondragon them.
0: Uh, like the, the famous like, take, song take the, by take... uh, Van Morrison? It's a marvelous name for a Moondragon.
5: <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I meant. <laughs> Why, did you think I meant something else? No, no, of course. No, like maybe we could do like a psychic conversion. So like that Frank Castle has always been the more interesting, older, daddy Frank's son. Daddy, I'm a cosmic ghostwriter, but really feeling guilty about it. Frank Castle, who seems so much more interesting and accessible, and like emotionally available, and I want to call him Daddy Castle.
0: So <laughs> I wanna, I wanna take everybody back. Uh, I am, I am just a. Uh, a naive 10-year-old with a lot of weird ideas about comics. It's 1996. (laughs) And uh, I'm I'm following this uh, up-and-coming young quipper snapper named uh, Neil Gaiman. And uh, this, uh, who's ever heard of him? Matt Wagner guy. And the two of them collaborated on an issue that transformed my understanding of multiversal comics. They collaborated on Sandman Midnight Theater which is a really significant piece of Sandman lore in that it doesn't matter, but it's one of the pieces collected in a lot of the editions because it's got Gaiman's name on it, in which the golden age Sandman of Wesley Dodds who received a sort of mystery kind of pulp comic reimagining under one of my all-time favorite comic book artists, uh, Matt Wagner. Anybody who doesn't understand why Matt Wagner is so important really needs to take a minute and read some early Grendel and then, the conversation's over no more talking about it after that and the design on grendel you know if you think venom looks cool grendel did it first right um but in that we see morpheus meet wesley dodd and it's a really amazing moment where these two disparate ideas come together and uh you know kevo if you would be able to bring up the cosmic ghost Rider slide when you get a moment I also feel much the same way about Ghost Rider, uh, Cosmic Ghost Rider, and the possibility of him meeting Frank Castle as Frank Castle exists now. We have Mm -hmm. Cosmic Ghost Rider by Stephanie Phillips, Juan Cabal, Jonas Scarf, Espen Grundtjern. I am so, so, I just didn't expect it as I'm reading it on air. I'm so sorry, Espen Grundichern. Right, letters by VCs Travis Lanham and edits by Martin Biro. And uh, my question for you guys: What what would even happen if this Frank Castle were who can't even manage to be the only cosmic ghostwriter? Evidently, <laughs> good job. What if he met the other Frank Castle? What would we even do?
5: Put him out of his misery.
0: I also like Robbie's suggestion of maybe Cosmo could have been a choice for Cosmic Ghost Rider. A solid choice. Solid choice. Maybe, yeah.
1: uh, and he's a dog riding a skateboard. Oh my god! Uh, you know that's his.
0: Instead,
6: <laughs> instead of a space helmet, it's a regular skateboard helmet.
1: You know, this it, this is the question, and this is the thing that I'm really wondering about and thinking about because this this Punisher. Being the soul-sucking worst and it coming to a head is coming to a head. And we really are drilling in the point that the Punisher is a bad guy. If you have decided to emulate the Punisher, you have failed. It is really serious that you understand that you have been following a villain. And sure, somebody who has kind of been wronged and had bad stuff happen. But nothing justifies what he has done. And he has gone... So completely off the rails. No,
0: no, not enough bad stuff has happened to Punisher to, no, no, it goes so far, no, it goes so far past, no, no. Well,
1: but then this is the question like, so this will have to end, and Frank Castle, the Punisher is not going anywhere. They have to do something else with him. Do we, like, do we continue to see how much we can punish the Punisher and get him to the point of, like, leave him in hell? Yeah, like it's on a cosmic scale now. He has to meet the the person that can truly show him how horrible he is because we do have to deal with what we do with the Punisher after we have definitively said he is so wrong. We and it's not up for debate.
5: I I mean like they they do like edging us further and further into the villainy. Like they they've been doing it with Beast for years now. But like I I I wonder whether or not they know what comeuppance looks like in that way, so that they can put that character to bed for a while. Like that's what that I think that's what would need to happen to like really give the Punisher what he deserves, take him off the table for a while. Like don't let there be more Punisher stuff for a while, or re, you know reimagine the character in ways like Cosmic Ghost Rider, who already is far more interesting to me as as a as a you know story and a character and a, and a compelling version of someone who I don't care about in the six one six. Um, but, like, I'm afraid Marvel doesn't know how to close the deal on these 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 characters that go fully dark side, and they don't know how to give, like, uh, a satisfying feeling comeuppance, and that's, I actually think that's kind of dangerous in the writing, uh, because Agreed. you need to see your villains fail, you need to see them punished, this is, there needs to be some balancing for the Scales of Justice here.
6: Well, I mean, they could just always do what they did with Jean Grey is. When Jean Grey did something completely terrible, kill her off, and then have her be dead for a couple of years.
5: Make the two castles kiss. I like that, it's too. a brilliant idea.
6: <laughs> it's kind of feel like what Marvel does when a character does something so irrevocably bad, and they don't know how to fix it at the time. They're like, well, they have to die. And they die, and then they put them on the shelf, and they go, no one's allowed to use them. There's a big old X on their file. Not the X-Men X. It's a different kind of X. It's like, no, you can't use this character. And they have to be dead for a while until someone can figure out a way to... Rectify what they did, Mm -hmm. and from what it sounds like, it seems like we're closing in on that point with Frank, where it's going to come to a head of Frank Castle will just need to die until someone can figure out what is the best way to for him to atone for what he
0: did. But I mean, that's why death is so great. Like, not to sound silly, but she's perfect. Human being, what did you do? Oh, human being, you've over the last 30 years, agelessly murdered 7,000 people. Oh, you're bad. Mm-hmm. We can't like you. Oh, that's not a real thing a real person can do. How can we make you atone? Mm. can die because a real person can't die and still meet the financial bottom line that the corporation has, right? So because the crime is impossible, the punishment being impossible death and then thinking well impossible crime impossible punishment it has to wipe the slate clean it's not working for me anymore i'm me, really tired of that
5: let me throw something out at you what did you think when hal jordan became the specter after going like insane as a, i don't know if this is this is if anyone's dc literate enough in this room but you know, th- th- this was an a- this was an attempt to rectify like a massacre committed by a character, make him you know serve in this this afterlife role to try and like punish him for the deeds that he did. And uh, you know, another like I-, I again, I don't think Frank Castle being around is is a particularly healthy thing for anyone. Uh, I think the Punisher is kind of like a bit toxic, and it's 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 uh the it's it's it's, its-, its cultural radiation, um. And I don't think that, like, keeping him around to do some afterlife justice works. And I didn't really, I don't know how I felt, I don't think I like the Hal Jordan thing either. But I'm curious what other people think, is that a workable solution? Can we make him serve in an afterlife, you know, you must do justice role? Well,
1: the thing I will say is this Punisher run is kind of trying to figure out how to do that. It's kind of trying to say, like, if you shelve the character without doing work, The people that are using the symbol for evil will just continue to put it on their hats and bumper stickers on their truck, and there will be no other word. If you continue writing the character and really display to people, he is legitimately evil, there are no redeeming qualities. This is a villain that just does the same things as the hero some of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, This is the work that Aaron is doing, and I don't believe that the job is entirely finished yet. And I, you know, I don't... This is why I wonder about Cosmic Ghost Rider, because this is so far to the other end of some kind of spectrum. I don't quite know what's in between, but I think there is fertile ground. It's just, like, it is tough to conceive of, because you do need to keep up the work, and it's social justice Mm -hmm. work of saying, Mm -hmm. like, toxic symbol it exists of course let me tell you some stories about how toxic it is
0: just briefly yeah the only character i love anywhere near as much as i love daredevil is actually the green lantern mm-hmm. um so <laughs> that's like, why you
1: turned off your... <laughs> i was gonna say
0: <laughs> but quite famously there is a uh, no fictional character in this world that i hate with one 50th the amount of hatred I have for Hal Jordan. I hate no fictional character the way I hate Hal Jordan. Um, I think he is the absolute most piece of garbage space cop in the history of the world. And uh, the only time I really like him is when he is paying for his deeds as Parallax as the Spectre, where I genuinely feel he is sorry. He seems really 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 sorry for one minute of his entire garbage space cop life and i don't know that i believe frank castle is capable of the same level of apology that hal jordan is i didn't think Hal. okay first of all i didn't think hal jordan was capable of saying i'm sorry that Mm -hmm. is that is number one so if we're going to talk about the best green lanterns we need to talk about the people who exemplify the ideals that an avenger would exemplify right so forgiveness is something that comes with contrite apology not to get too catholic but you can't just go to confession you have to be sorry and that's why daredevil and punisher despite being so similar are incapable of that level of connection because all Matt knows is empathy but all Frank knows is apathy and it really does become the question of immorality versus amorality I don't believe Frank Mm -hmm. is immoral any longer I believe Frank has evolved his morality to something that is amoral Frank no longer believes that murder is exactly a problem right it's not even ends justify the means it's a different thing murdering scum is murdering scum which is why he's accepted the powers of the hand. Now, if we take the idea of accepting the powers of the hand as the same basis as why he would accept the powers from Thanos that made him essentially the the silver surfer of his universe, uh, a herald of Thanos, I think we are able to see the definitive difference between a character like Emma Frost and a character like Mr. Sinister, a character like Apocalypse, and a character like Exodus. Mr. Sinister will never be sorry for anything, but Emma Frost is always sorry for everything. Hmm. At her heart, she regrets mistakes. Conversely, Apocalypse never wanted to suck, and is sorry for the things he did to make his family all of mutant kind safe. But conversely, Exodus Exodus isn't sorry for anything about his fanaticism. No, he's a he consider- might be sorry right now because he's being told to act sorry. Well, Hope said to say sorry. Exactly. Hope said to say sorry. And I think that is the conventional difference between the Punisher and Daredevil. <clears throat> and why Punisher can't be redeemed and where Frank Castle cosmic ghostwriter, even if he is a different man, for me, can't ever be different enough to truly be sorry.
5: That's a great
1: read. Yeah. I don't. That gives me so much to think about. I just like that will be kind of one of the things that's really important to see in this book. Is is uh, Stephanie Phillips trying to show a, uh, a regretful Frank Castle, even if it's from another universe, even if it's another story, or is this the kind of thing <laughs> where? No matter what, even if he is miserable and realizes that things are bad, he still isn't capable of that level of contrition, as you said. That's, that's going to be a real marker to look for.
0: So I actually think we have one book left to talk about, and uh, I'm pretty excited to talk about it for a minute. Uh, Shadow Clones. I've now read an enormous amount of Spider-Gwen. And I opened this whole thing with, I literally couldn't remember her last name. Um, and I'm not embarrassed about it so much as it's funny as hell. Uh, you know, it's so funny. Whenever I take down this, uh, Hal Jordan figure, he never stands on his own for whatever reason. But if I take down the matching Sinestro figure, uh, he always stands right up. Like he's about to get on a high horse somehow. Um, I specifically, because they're the same person. I don't care; they're the same person. Um, with shadow clones, okay. We've run the gamut of Spider Verse made multiversity cool at Marvel, and now we have reached the point where the saturation saturation of multiversity has gone so effing around the bend that now it's not not it's not multiverse anymore. We're back to clone. So, uh, if we could just get that credits sheet up for a moment, just to start us off. Spider Gwen's Shadow Clones is written by Emily Kim with genuinely shockingly good art by Kenzama. I did not expect this book to be so stunning inside. I was honestly the cover did not wow me, and so I went into this thinking average cover. The interiors for this book are mm-hmm. like a revelation for what. I was coming into this book looking for really, really, and I would love to get your guys' take. Like, you know, Teek and I, we talked about um, good old fashioned Spider Gwen, the the woman who inherited everything that belonged to Mayday Parker. She <laughs> came up and stole her <laughs> destiny. I I can't talk about this. I'll, I'll, I'm going to get an ocular migraine. I'm going to be anitra, and I'm not going to have time to write my jokes um everybody talk about spider gwen while i go and uh melt
6: calm yourself so i feel like someone at marvel (laughs) was like let's pull an oprah because you get a clone and you get a clone and you get a clone (laughs) and so it's now it is now gwen's turn to have clones but it's not even like a ben riley kind of clone situation it's "No, no 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 they're not other spiders they're going to be the iconic you know uh the boys, the uh, the five, or the girls, I should say, uh, <laughs> of the you know the classic Spider-Man villains, that the Sinister Six. Sinister, oh yeah, the Sinister, sinister Six. The Sinister Six. Yeah. Um. That's why I said the. I I just I just seen the memes of people. I like the, the boys, boys. Yeah. <laughs> just call them the boys. <laughs> um, but. Uh, my only, like, I did, I did really love the art. It's a really, it's an aesthetic that I found myself very much enjoying. So I am very excited to continue to read Um, when we cover the solicits. <laughs> I'm very excited when we get to Rhino, because for some reason, I, and in the most loving and best way possible, Rhino Gwen looks a little bit like a bimbo in a way that I really <laughs> love. Yeah. So I am excited for that. Um, I, my only complaint is the way these clones came about is a bit contrite i don't think there's anything wrong with a scientist being you know scorned and blaming gwen for something but none of this was gwen's fault literally none of it was gwen's fault gwen specifically did help tried to help and if gwen wasn't there that scientist would have died and it felt a little you're placing the blame in the wrong area you're you're trying to be like gwen didn't do enough why are you blaming the villains why aren't you blaming, uh, who's it? Uh, whoever's bombs it was that blew, I, was it, um, was it the uh, Dr. Octopus bombs? Whoever's it was, because all of them just throw bombs too at some point. I guess no goblin it here, was, but we're going to throw more of them. It was, <laughs> the, it was
1: our sinister six in Gwen's universe for some reason.
6: Uh, yeah, but I more so meant somebody, whoever threw the bombs in the first place into yeah. the lab. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't their fault. It's Gwen's fault for not doing more. It felt a little. I maybe need a little bit of a better reason of the, there to be some scorn. I, I don't know if this is my favorite reason for it. That being said, I did enjoy everything else about this. I enjoyed uh the the little bit of, you know, Mary Jane that we got from here. That was very fun. Um, it seems like no matter what universe it is, Mary Jane has to deal with some, with with a different light-haired woman.
5: Yeah, whether it's Felicia or Gwen. Well, Mary Jane is always dealing with some Gwen Stacy package in some form or another. (sighs) Snap. You know, I liked this book, but my big lingering question is why. Um, Because, I mean, it's fun. And fun is always, like, its own justifier, sure. But... (sighs) is it always going to be spider books and clones is it always going to be spider books it feels like we pulled three bingo balls out and it was like clones sinister six of gwen and that was like how we got the plot for this book now that said the writing is a lot of fun the art is excellent and so it's a great it's a it's a great book to to enjoy and a great story about a character that really seems to have like you know become big in the marvel universe like she's fun she's a cult figure um but you know, you know me. I'm like a, I'm, I'm a six one. I'm a bit, I'm a bit hard of a six one six purist. It's, it's not a pretty look all the time, um, and so sometimes I see, I see characters like this, and I see books like this, and i are just like, is it? Are we just going to keep doing iterations on the same themes? I yeah. would love to see a Gwen story that's not rooted in a Spider Man story that took place thirty years ago.
0: Well, uh, get, uh, get a metal detector and. Uh... Set it for thing that doesn't exist. (laughs) Go to beach of things you'll never find. Take off your shoes of ever finding things and uh, get your toes in the sand. As
6: as Phineas and Ferb said, discovering something that doesn't exist.
0: Yeah. Good luck.
6: So,
1: Jake, I think you you really point to the thing. Why? You know, uh, to borrow a phrase from Nico and Kevo, what's the plan, Phil?
0: What's the plan, Phil?
1: Um... You know, and I don't mean to be like, you guys don't even know, but like, Nico and I have an extra level of perspective on this because we've read Gwenverse, which <laughs> is, uh, they're not clones, it's alternate universe version. So we've already done this. And it does seem like this book is really going out of its way to be like, no, 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 no this time it's different, it's clones. Maybe and this I can't time. tell if it's super tongue in cheek and totally knows what it's doing. Um, Or if uh, Emily Kim is kind of sending us an SOS from inside the book, being like, (laughs) you all know I'm a good writer. How much great stuff have I written? I got saddled with having to do this concept. And Jonah, the thing that you point, like, yeah, it's not really a justifiable reason. Is that because, like, this book is going to get highbrow and get funny? And there's, like, we all know that it's not a good reason and that's going to be part of the story? Or did it really just set up the quickest most contrived plot they could get done just so the book could get published.
0: I'm so desperate for Upright Spider-Gwen Brigade, for the record.
1: (laughs) Now now there is a totally bonkers concept.
5: I would read that book. I would read that book so hard.
6: Gwen just doing improv, and it's not good.
5: (laughs) Or like Spider-Gwen Test Kitchen, but her in the Test Kitchen, I'd read that too.
0: Like, you know, like... Spider-Gwen goes to 30 Rock. Not to be stupid, but something that we love in our family, right? Like, our pack. Like, this is, you know, Kevo, if you want to boop in for a second, you'd have, like, you know, the central, like, lifeblood of my family on stream right now. And the thing that's so crazy about this sort of engine that we're talking about is we love food cooking shows where, like, celebrities come on and, and cook badly. I would not hate it if a bunch of superheroes did like a, a competitive cooking show for yeah. an issue, like for charity And short. Sure, maybe a bad guy bombs it at the last second and they have to defend, it. whatever. But like, I would love Gwenpool and Spider-Gwen Getting together and being, like, going to have, like, a Gwen off, just like, have a big old Gwen cookout.
1: Well, if My you're talking about, idea. like, next level chef, they could use their powers. There can be an obstacle course to get to the ingredients. We can have a little fun with this. But, yes, I mean, now we are talking about the kind of wise where I'm like, what Jake said. Like, if it's fun, sure, but then it's got to be fun, guys. Come on, it can't just be, you know, a plot that we could see coming a mile away that is, you know, it's an, it's another good Gwen story. She really is sucking up all of what <laughs> our darling Mayday deserved. And, oh. you know, it's fine. It is what it is. It, this is in no way a bad story. It's similar to uh, X-23 where it's like, you, you know you've made it when they will just continue giving you five-issue mm-hmm. minis about your multiversal varieties so hard that they stop being multiversal <laughs> and start being yeah. it's It's bonkers, but like... It could be bonkers or and it could be funner. And then we could be having that conversation and if we're you know, if we're gonna keep doing this, I say take it to the level.
6: I also imagine part of what this book is representing is not exactly promotion, but soft support and idea yeah. of the uh, upcoming uh, yeah. Spider-Verse two, which is right around the corner through mm-hmm. this year. Uh, as you're coming out this year, right? I'm not crazy yeah
1: i, I think, think you're right yeah i think it would be late um or early 2024 maybe
6: it, it, soon enough it, it yeah. is it is coming um and you know she's a main player in that you know series and it, it i don't think uh marvel will behoove themselves to start having a couple of those very popular characters appearing in comics having series for people to be like well
5: i like the movie
6: so let me go pick something up
5: you know, Jonah, it's funny you say that. I was wondering, um, in a less direct way, if that if that was one of the reasons they were putting X twenty three out in a miniseries. If they're if they're kind of sneaking this, they're going to try and sneak her into MCU stuff coming up, since the character's already been established in another movie. Come on, bring her in. She's so good, Daphne uh, Keen. Keen. Oh, we love her. Very um, interesting. I I would I if if that turned out, I'd be so happy if she wound up in the next uh, in the in the Deadpool movie. I would be thrilled with that. like, gimme. So so I, I, I yeah, I vibe with that idea and I, I want that to be the, the same for X23 as well, for sure.
0: Well, I would love to bring in our last slide for this round of books and to bring up the uh, dumbest thing I've ever done with the Spider-Gwen slide. Uh, I am the world's dumbest man. And when I was coming up with list of spider women, I was like, all right, Kevo, spider woman, spider woman, spider girl, spider woman, I didn't put a single other version of Gwen Stacy (laughs) because I forgot her last name. Oh my gosh.
1: But then, Nico, at the same time, it does go back to the thing that we are still not done talking about, which is the totemic spider person and... Is, I think Spider Gwen is more of a spider person than she is a Gwen Stacy. Absolutely. I don't, really, I don't see Gwen pool, and of course they're going to interact, that's fine, but, like, I don't see them having the same core of, like, we need to get down and investigate what makes a Gwen Stacy. No, she's with Mayday trying to figure out what it means to be a spider person. mm that's a good delineation. I like that. And, and a spider woman, I think, you know, that is the thing that we maybe haven't gone that far and had Marvel really say, like, now they're all spider people, that's fine. All spider people are kind of derived from Peter Parker. We accept that that's just the nature of comics. But there have been a lot of amazing women who are spider woman, mm-hmm. um, who were once spider girl. It means something different. Let's get into that specifically.
0: Well, on that note... I would love to get your take Jonah and your take Jake on what you guys think of this version of Spider-Woman in the form of Spider-Gwen. And then Jake, I would love to get uh, where we can find you on the interwebs before we go to break. Yeah. So uh,
6: it's one of those things where I, the Spider-Woman mantle, uh, and it is kind of a mantle at this point. Uh,
0: Spider-Woman-womantle.
6: W- mantle. Um. <laughs> Well, mantle. I don't fully know if I don't even know if really I agree that Ghost Spider, Spider Gwen, whatever, it, you know, the many different names she, com- she comes with, I don't know if she fully fits under that mantle. I feel like the mantle of Spider Woman is something that's very different comparative to something you say like Spider Girl. I, I, f- I just feel like there's a different connotation to what I'm getting with it. You know, I look at Jessica Drew, and I look at what she represented, which was, I'm not allowed to use Jessica Jones, so I'm going to use a different name. <laughs> I look at what Julia Carpenter, when she was introduced, uh, and that, you know, debacle and fiasco in that entire series, uh, lest we forget that uh, Magneto and Janet had a full-on thing, and then she also maybe had like a little bit thing with lizard and we don't know lizard was not like an actual person in that one so there was like some sentience issues with that um, <laughs> but i look at what spider-gwen represents and what she means and i feel like she's meant to be something completely different and i feel like where you can kind of see the draw and you can draw the line between spider woman name i don't really know if she's on that line i think she's kind of off doing her own thing she's in a completely different graph and that's kind of just where i see her doing her own thing and you know part of that is because she has such a not drastic but different enough design i think that's what a lot of it boils down to is because where a lot of the spider woman colors tend to be either the classic blue and red or the dark like julia carpenter's Spider Gwen's is white and pink with some black accents, and that's very different. Mm-hmm. And I think having that such different design, different characterization really has her separate from you know the Spider Woman type.
5: yeah, i I, I, I agree that I, I don't I don't see her as like as as a you know title spider woman. i I guess I see her more as like a spider sister. Like, thinking about, like, family systems dynamics, like, she seems more like a sibling in the spider family than she does, like, the cool aunt or the spider mom. And, you know, not that those are... But not, to, not to essentialize roles within family systems like that. I, I just... I think that um, there's something there's there's something familial about it but there's something that yeah is is like is like i'm gonna watch out for you i've got a little more maturity under my belt i I mean and I'm, i'm also getting a lot of this from uh the spider verse characterization because i'm not the biggest spider fan but i assume that some of that is carrying over into what we're reading here um but yeah i mean it's it's such an interesting idea having this alternate universe, Gwen Stacy be the spider person of her world. I really like the, the, like the inversion on the spider person myth that that offers that it's not, it wasn't Peter. It was Gwen. Like that's, that's really appealing to me in this kind of like this like mirror kind of fantasy kind of way. Um, And I just, I, I, so I see her more as like this, I guess maybe spider twin is how I would ultimately think of it. Like the, like the other side, the 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 Anima spider energy. Um, there, but for the
1: grace of God, go spider.
5: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Thank you. Um, so I mean, I I this is a book that has has definitely got me a little more interested in this character and like where she falls within this this family. I also just I like I like the I like the uh, women spider characters. I think that they're I think they're a little more interesting and a lot less whiny, and that's appealing to me.
0: I can't wait to have you back to talk more about your feelings on this title. And <laughs> until then, where can everybody find you on the interweb?
5: Oh, yeah. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Omega Sentinel, like, oh, <gasps> Mega Sentinel. Um, or on Instagram at The Heart Farmer, which is a place that I, that, 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 yeah, that's my handle over there. <laughs>
0: well, until we come back, we can't wait to have you back next time. And we're going to hop to a commercial and come back with Tori Sheehan and Test Kitchen, a title I can't wait to talk about. But until then, don't forget to like, subscribe, and enjoy this commercial. Bye, bye, bye. All right. I am super excited, super stoked, all the best things. We're going to be taking a look at Test Kitchen. And this is a title that we've talked about a little bit on the show. Uh, We're going to be talking a lot more about it right now. Another amazingly different thing Marvel's trying with Unlimited. And uh, to do so, we're going to bring right back Jonah. And we're going to bring in Team Mainstay, the amazing Tori.
3: Hi, guys. Hey, Tori. What's up? How you doing? Oh, we here. (laughs) I I really wish I had a private chef.
1: I really wish I had a chicken katsu sandwich.
3: Oh, my God. I
0: really wish I had that daredevil outfit. So (laughs) uh, I have to start with, Tori, we asked you to do something for this that had nothing to do with anything. I just yep. really wanted to uh, be able to talk a little bit about Hollow's Eve for like half a second. And uh, I, I really couldn't talk about it in front of you without you reading Dark Devil. Um,
3: right. So my favorite part is you didn't tell me why. You just said, I need you to read three issues. And I went, oh, do I need to know anything? Go no. And I was like, oh, okay. I open it up. I go, what the fuck is this? And then – and then they're like Elizabeth Time. And I was like, god damn it, do I like Nico's already <laughs> recording. I can't go ask him who this is.
0: <laughs> so Daredevil became a ghost. He's <laughs> a
1: ghost. Spooky.
3: <laughs> spooky. He's spooky. a holy ghost. He's a spooky ghost. He's, he's a holy ghost.
0: Yeah. The ghost of Christmas past. Yeah. And he's fighting Satan forever. In
1: his heart
3: so, and, in, uh, and in some clone's eyes or something. Who no. is yeah. if, your, if your clone has a kid with your girlfriend's clone, is it, is it the same clone as the kid you would have with your girlfriend? Or is this where we get into the infinite possibilities of genetic disposition?
0: I don't know. You should ask Cyclops. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my question. What if somebody from the Ultimate Universe... Right? Which is, you know, not quite MC, not quite the Marvel Universe proper, got together with a, somebody from another universe. Mm-hmm. And they procreated, and the kid was born. Well, the, code, the kid was conceived and mm-hmm. born in 616. Mm-hmm. Where are his tachyon particles from? Yeah.
1: I mean, you know that eventually this multiversal stuff has to go to those kinds of plot questions. Uh, not because we need to know, but because that becomes the source. Like,. <laughs> And it it comes back to Dark Devil in so far as, like, sometimes it seems like the only option is to go as convoluted as possible, because at the very least, it's just a lot of multiplication that produces a large sum. So it's like, you have the Daredevil... mantle and how does he get it well you know he has daredevil in his soul but because he needs more powers he's also got a ghost rider did i mention that he is the that's son a of a ghost Acloth? rider
0: <laughs> yeah that's the demon that powers the ghost rider That's
3: oh. Zor- oh yeah i need more information before th- i bet th- this <laughs> it really is <laughs> i'm just like here's some guy <laughs> it's fine <laughs> It really
1: is, like, uh, even if you know everything about the Marvel Universe, it is totally nonsensical. And it just feels like the reason for that is it's just continuing to multiply stuff. And so, Nico, when you ask that question about, you know, multiversal children, it's, it sometimes feels like some Marvel writer will go there eventually because that is the only way they feel they can produce something that seems big and important or a character that seems weighty
0: well speaking of characters that seem weighty i can't think of a character that feels like they have any more weight in this universe than uh the main character of test kitchen so now is the time now is the moment test kitchen number one through four plus three holiday specials i am blown away by paul eschbach ej sue and joe sabino alongside daredevil editor extraordinaire ellie Pyle. Uh, the the work on this series is so creative. Essentially, uh, a young chef has her food truck crushed and starts working for Tony Stark, and you get a bunch of sort of big deal cameos. But what this offered for me was a cool way to get people who don't really read comics a comic book they could read. I would love to get everybody's take on... Test Kitchen, what it represents to the Marvel brand, and how you felt reading it.
6: Uh, In my opinion, it's the most important book in Marvel history. Uh, It's the best book in Marvel history. Uh, If you're not reading this, you absolutely should be reading this. It is. And the reason uh, I am only half joking when I say all of that Uh, Test Kitchen uh, represents just kind of everything good and everything that, you know, I and uh, we as a family just love. It combines comic book characters, it cr- combines slice of life, and it combines cooking. It's one of the most fun, bo- like also just a genius idea of an interactive book that tells this fun story of this very likable protagonist of how she wackily becomes the uh, private chef of Tony Stark, uh, but also there's a secret reason that she's actually connected to the Avengers um <laughs> but it also gives you a fully interactive thing to do with the comic of making these dishes looking at what she's making in the comic and saying here's how you make it in real life you know go out and have fun and that's why i think it's just such an important book because um it also does something else that's really important in that it gives us an insight of to what it looks like to be a civilian living in earth 616 living with these superheroes you know how do you deal with all of this you know her livelihood was destroyed when Tony smashed into her truck. And, you know, obviously there's probably insurance for superhero insurance. But also, you know, that probably sucks living in New York City um, and probably had to deal with that almost as a daily occurrence.
3: Yeah. I know for me, like, I sat there reading this and I was like, how many people can I definitely not hand out my Marvel Unlimited password to so that they can read this? Because, like, I know so many people who are in this world who would love this. I know I personally, like, the, the fact that she's like, I work from the basics and blah, blah, blah. And then she does. When you can, when, as someone who has not been to culinary school, can recognize the ingredients, recognize the, the ways that they're making these things, see how stuff is made with such love and such attention and care. I I was deeply deeply smitten with the with the whole idea of of what this is as well as the character and everyone they bring into it and it really does remind you that like food is so much of a love language for people that it we see so much of it when it's when it's been taken to like the unfortunate perversion where people have unfortunate relationships with food due to trauma and things that we have to remember that sometimes it can be the greatest joy the greatest memory that you have with a loved one i i was just so in love with everything that this was bringing and especially with my little my little mika robot who i love so much and I love that
0: you brought up the, the human realism of food. Something that, you know, it's, it's so hard. Because, like, when you think of somebody in a certain way, and then you see them in a really human way, it's hard. And, you know, we all have that with our dad one day.
2: Mm-hmm. Or our
0: mom. Or our older sister or brother. Or you see your teacher pick their nose. Or, you know, something random Where it's like, oh, that person's human Okay, Mm -hmm. well There's something about And like as you're saying, without taking it to the extremes There's something about, oh, seeing people eat That's, it's a human thing But it's not like That person toppled, my hero's been toppled It's like My hero's a human being And likes gourds Yeah That's That's the thing that made this book So special for me was that I felt like I was alive in the book. Mm -hmm. I felt like this is something that, you know, the idea that you can make the recipe, like I'm gonna see TK this week, and I'm really excited that, you know, we make a try making one of these recipes, and then we can be like, good recipe, easy to make, tough recipe, hard to make, not bad food, just tough to follow. There is, you know, the artwork attached where they want you to be able to see the ingredients and, the instructions are written out in maybe a little bit closer to prose form than I would per se want, but one of the things that it allows is it gives you the opportunity to connect with it. All of us aren't going to get to put on an Iron Man suit. All of us aren't going to get to use Daredevil's sonic powers, but all of us can make food. And even if we make it badly, we can all make it
3: badly. Yeah. And she, it, they really work to take the time to let you know that you can make changes, that you can um, make things ahead of time, so you're not just trying to jam it all together. I mean, I don't know who else lives in this world, but I just I watched the menu a few weeks back, and it is still kind of resonating in there. Yeah. But this idea that so much of what we consider good food has is starting to be gatekept and or gatekept kept and we deserve to know that we can have good loving food that is easy to do that is still of a caliber that excites people uh as as a as a catholic family italian catholic family person the idea of angel hair in white clam sauce is something that you have on christmas eve like that—that I saw this recipe and I recognized that I knew exactly what she was talking about. And then, like that one added ingredient that gets it better. I'm like, okay, how do I talk my uncle into just like adding some miso in? Just flip it in. Just like a little bit. Just fold it in. <laughs> I just want to try it, please.
1: Tori, I love that you brought up the menu because this really is kind of the anti-menu. Yeah. Because this is the this is literal a literal god who just wants good succotash. Um not you know, he's not looking for the highest quality and caliber. He is not saying for gods only. He just wants good succotash and you know, he, he appreciates it, and she is the superhero of food to these people, the, the superheroes get to go to her and say, like, yes, we can save the world, but we're not, we don't make good food, and we want to eat good food, and can, can you help us, you know, can you participate in a thing that we need, rather than us participating in a thing that you need, and, food is so special because unlike i it's the superheroes interacting with culture is the thing that is happening that i'm really loving in this and you know it would be tough to have them in 2023 talk about how they just listened to the new miley cyrus record it's just going to be a dated reference a year later like i would love to kind of know who listens to what and there are ways you can kind of do it broadly but it is really tough Food never goes out of style, and you know they really did pick stuff that is like you can always make a, chi- a pork cutlet sandwich. Like they're not doing like uh, you know the the cronut or like something like yeah. that got really trendy for a second. This succotash will be made forever and has been made forever. And seeing superheroes interact with the culture in a way that isn't dated and can you know survive really any test of time is so special that is that slice of life that i think you know for months when i started on the show uh, i would talk about this so much with jonah like we just wanted slice of life for Koa comics this yep. is kind of the slice of life of the whole marvel universe that i've always wanted
3: nico seems to keep dragging people into comics who just are like yeah yeah, yeah fight 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 powers 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 sure 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 sure, sure. but what's their coffee order yeah <laughs> uh, you're
6: you're not wrong because i think uh, when you i think because the superhero comic itself is so ubiquitous with the term comic that is i think where everybody's mind goes but i think people fail to realize there's so many different kinds of genres you know marvel themselves have a very successful line of horror comics that aren't about superheroes they're about comics about literally anything if you search for it it's not just superheroes and i think that's what this book proves that you can have a good comic that's not about Superhero action, I should say, because it's still in the superhero genre. Um, my uh, I, I really, I also love to see, um, you know, who I love seeing the different relationships within co- uh, comics of characters, it's one of my favorite things. Um, and that goes true for any media, It's just like reality competition shows. I actually love to know, like, who's friends with who, like, who are they actually, like, good friends with one another. Yeah. Um, so when we, I got to read the Halloween issue to be like, okay what is their halloween costume uh and the uh, my favorite my number uh two is kate bishop as captain marvel uh because uh, absolutely beautiful amazing but my number one the most amazing co- uh the most amazing comic book character costume in the entire world is shang chi dressed as jeff the land shark
3: yep Yep.
2: <laughs> literal simu would
0: do it
3: utter perfection. In, a, in an instant
0: simu would do it he would wear a buff little land shark costume mm-hmm. We just just got to get
1: Jeff in the MCU, like, tonight.
0: Well, speaking of that, though, what's really cool is Simu Liu just did an episode of my favorite YouTube series of all time, uh, Worth It. He just did an episode of the final season of Worth It, which is a show where two guys and their amazing crew go around and eat three versions of the same food at three different places. I love that show. So they'll eat a $2 piece of fried chicken, a $20 piece of fried chicken, and a $45 piece of fried chicken. And uh, they did one last season of three episodes, and Simulu just did it. So um, it's a really cool connection. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that this does remind me about is the human factor of the Marvel experience. You know, we are all watching the Marvel universe happen around these characters it can be so easy to forget about the humans in the universe you know we make the joke but like there actually been a lot of stories about things like damage control which is superhero insurance and that is talked about and you know the 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 facelessness or like every time there is a human it's wolverine killed my child and i have to learn to forgive him no, this is woman does job, loses business, gets new gets new business. And not that everybody who loses their business is going to get a brand new business. You know, I'm not trying to trivialize real life things, but there is really something to be said about this reminds me that the Marvel universe, the Marvel experience is about humanity and all of us. And that's something that this affords the reader that most Marvel titles just can't. And I think my final question for you guys is, when you read this and the human experiences shine is such a clear light is shown on it, does it make you feel more part of the comics? Do you feel pulled in or, and I, I mean, is this just the bare minimum that comics can do is this immersion or is this comics coming to meet the rest of the world? For me, it's easy to see how a lot of people might be like, this is neither. This is just a recipe in the back of a book. What are you talking about? This really is immersion this really is almost creating an ARG. You can go and make the recipe too, and you can know if Tony Stark would like your food. And there's an interplay of it that is, for me, the next step of choose your own adventure that comics have waited far too long to get in on. And I'd love to get your guys' take on it.
3: I think for me, I, I mean, like I said, I'm always going to want this kind of immersion, this kind of thing, kind of above other other stuff. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I was a, such a big fan of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or even the concept thereof, because it's this idea of normal people trying to clean up after everything that's going on and figuring stuff out and protecting the average little guy. I i I love this. I love the idea that it's calling out actual restaurants and chefs in New York City who you can then presume are going to have a lot of the same ideals that our main character has um, and i think I think it does a really good job of showing off the the blog recipe idea where you get like paragraphs and stuff, but she but it's really she doesn't go into like the four pages of well the sunset was so beautiful and my husband was craving grapes so we decided to blah 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 I swear to God,
0: Tori, i'm getting anxiety <laughs> <laughs> i
3: just i love i love the care i love the love i think i think actually though that this is one of the first Infinity comics that I have read, where I have felt that it doesn't take as much advantage of the format of yeah. the Infinite Scroll as it could. I don't know if it should, but then I don't know if it should be an Infinite Scroll. Um, but I do think it is delightful and charming, and I want more. I want. I want Lunar New Year. I want. Yes. I want uh, Rosh Hashanah. I want like. I want the the feast when the when the sun goes down during Ramadan. Like I want it all. I want everything, and I can't wait to have more. And I'm hoping that we get more kind of immersion-y moments like this that can be put into these small into these small little infinite comics, so that we can get a broader world where if we see a chef show up in Iron Man's kitchen on the movie screen it's gonna be her it's not gonna be some random extra
0: to that I would love like how to draw I mm-hmm. would love this is a melody that Dazzler sings find your own way to compose it here's the melody here's the key signature build it yourself like find your light
3: oh my find- god can you imagine like the the music producers putting together Dazzler's album where she just rolls in and at the end of the episode being like okay guys Take one. Let's go. And yeah. That's
1: absolutely <laughs> something we've talked about wanting is the Dazzler tour book, you know, where she's out with Lila Cheney, and, you know, Bling is either, like, the opening actor is part of it. And, like, yeah. can they find a little bit? Sure. But we're, we're talking about we want to see them. It's like I said before, interacting with the culture, uh, you know, Pyro going on his book tour. These yeah. are all things that we've said, like, that would be really cool and that, you know, Infinity Comic makes sense for. Mm-hmm.
3: Dazzler Jones and the Six Mutants. Let's go,
0: (laughs) Jonah. How about you? Does the immersion matter to you? Would you go make these recipes?
6: Yes, absolutely. Uh, I would love to make these recipes. I want to make these recipes. I do want to echo something that you said, Tori. That this is one of the least Infinity Comics, Infinity Comics that they have, comparative to something like two Infinity Comics that I absolutely love, between like Alligator Loki and Jeff the Land Shark where those are a little bit more geared to the idea of the uh vertical like saturday uh saturday morning cartoon strips in the paper or sunday morning cartoon strips where those fit a little bit better this is a little bit more like a regular comic that they had to make in this format which is fine it doesn't read horribly Mm -hmm. but it's not taking advantage of the of um The the medium as much as it could uh However, I think about how this book takes the idea of the slice of life between Agatha Loki and uh, um, Jeff the Landshark and turns it up to an 11 by giving it an actual plot and story. Um, whereas, you know, I, I think to the very first issue of the Jephtha Landshark Infinity comic. And I think about how uh, one of the more fun things of that is what is every superhero who's there's bathing suit? What do they wear to a pool day or a beach day? And that's fun. That is something cool and interesting to think about Of that they all wear branded
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
6: bathing suits. <laughs> you know, I think about Alligator Loki getting his nails done with all the magical girls in the Marvelverse, whether it's Enchantress and Magic and Selene and all these different women, you know, taking, doing, an, having a fun nail day. That's fun. And having this story, which is an actual plot with a protagonist that's lovable and likable and really doesn't get, <laughs> puts up with Tony in a way that I love, putting Tony in his place. Um, she's just so enjoyable and likable that I am so excited to see the more come out of this like you said Tori, I want more, give me more more holidays give me more, uh, just give me more give me more, as Britney Spears said Poet Laureate, give
3: me more, give me more and what's up with that twist, how does she know, how does she know him Uncle Jarvis what's he gonna make for her when she shows up I wanna know
0: TK, what are your passing final thoughts on, uh, on this amazing story that we've been covering for, like, four or five months now?
1: Yeah. Um, it is both. It is, it is immersion, and it is high time we've got here. Uh, you know, Marvel is picking up some slack that I think has been left for a little too long. You know, a few months ago, we uh, reviewed damage control, um, a, a, a new mini of Damage Control, and I was so excited for what I knew would be a little bit more of a heightened slice of life, but you know, superhero insurance, like let's get into it, and I actually enjoyed it a lot, it was very fun, but it didn't wind up really giving me that same, something even comparable to this so far as like being somewhat mundane it really was so over the top and so superhero that it was just kind of its own story um, its own superhero story and a very kind of exaggerated one even for a superhero story but you know the idea of um, you know there have been a couple like Ben Yurick journalism uh, books that have been a little more grounded and down-to-earth and covering the heroes and I find those very interesting This really uh, did a job that I think we have so much more room to explore because we really, as readers, identify with our comic characters and we want to see that reflection go beyond just what we know about them and see them living lives that look a little more like ours and recognize them in moments that we could have as well and this just did a wonderful job of doing that. And I would absolutely love to see more of this particular story, but I'd love to see other, you know, high level creators of different fields. Exactly. Like you said, give me um, a producer helping to write a dazzler making an album, infinity comic. That would be just amazing.
0: Well, until we come back and see Marvel do the brave thing, guys, I would love to get a final sound off of where everybody can find you and a recipe you hope to see in a future issue of Test Kitchen. For me, I would love to see some good old Cuban cooking. I'd love to see a recipe for some picadillo or maybe some arroz con pollo. Um, otherwise, maybe some gumbo, like a, like a good jumbo, right? Something kind of, I like rice. But you guys can find me on Nico. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And you can check the show out at X's for Show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Guys, food you want to see, where we could find you. And Also, tell people to like and subscribe because it bears repeating.
3: This is the the sound of everyone thinking about what food they want to see and they don't want an answer until they know.
0: Also, Um, uh, peanut butter. Peanut butter. You can just make peanut butter. Yeah.
3: yeah. What nuts do you have? Um, (laughs) My name is Tori Sheehan. You can find me on Instagram at smtori. That's Tori with an I. And on Twitter at Tori underscore Sheehan. I would love... To see, uh, to see her take on, like, just, I mean, I want to, uh, you know what? Let's have an Alligator-Loki crossover where she heads on down to the bayou and cooks up some gator. And then Alligator-Loki gets real fucking mad, gets real silly mad about it.
0: <laughs> I did it earlier. <laughs> <laughs> but at least I'm down to one
3: that's proud of you we i just took us to the r rating so sorry we're great (laughs)
6: um so for me i would love to see some dessert give me give me a cake give me some pastry that is i am sure any chef can tell you there's a very big difference between being a pastry chef and being a regular chef and the different skills that those require Mm -hmm. but i would love to see her tackle uh something dessert themed because we got a little bit of that with captain marvel's favorite dumpling um but anyway, regardless of desserts, if you wanna follow me, you can find me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah.
1: And some of you know this, some of you don't, but in my day-to-day life I am an innkeeper and I run a bed and breakfast and I make breakfast food all day, every day, and I would love to see, you know, a gigantic Marvel brunch. And you know, I would take, you know, a frittata recipe. Uh just like you know, a really had a poaching egg, eggs benedict, pancakes. With
3: lickety split. So you so you want that pumpkin waffle recipe is what I'm hearing.
1: Yeah, I want the pumpkin waffle recipe. I want to um support Nico and get some French toast in the mix. Uh yeah. So I I think that would be very cool. A big big superhero brunch would be great. I'm TK. You can find me all over the socials at X, And of course, you can always find me on this podcast. So please, or on this <laughs> stream. So please like and subscribe and uh, come watch us,
7: come hang out with us.
0: Kevo, you got any input before we bounce on out?
7: My favorite. I was thinking about what I would suggest, and mine is a little odder and more personal, but it's something that is very much related to this title. I had one of those like little easy reader books when I was a kid. You know, the ones with the big font and everything. And it was a Ninja Turtles book about them trying to order pizza, but the phone's busy. So they have to go to the place and it's being robbed. And they get their pizzas. And um, you know, each one wanted something different. One wanted ham, one wanted jam, one wanted cheese, and one wanted peas. Oh, and
3: that's adorable.
0: The
7: last page of the book is a pizza muffin recipe. Um, I've I've made pizza muffins for my boys. That's 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 where I learned how to do it, and so I would love to see something of that variety, especially something that can be made that allows for uh, those sort of variations for your own personal creations, uh, because it suggests that you can make you know all of those different types of pizzas they suggested. And so that would be cute, um, and pizza muffins obviously, especially lend themselves to that. But any sort of thing, s'mores, you can usually get creative with that. But something cute like that would be fun.
3: Do we think they're gonna put out like a like a cookbook that you know ties in with all of this?
0: We can only dream. I, know I mean,
3: because I, I so. like, like as a person a for a TK.
0: So I can only
3: dream. As a person who owns like the Desperate Housewives cookbook and things like that, like, and it has some great stuff in
7: it. But we would all buy this. It would have to switch over to page format, though, because can you imagine infinitely scrolling to get (laughs) to the recipe you want? Scroll Uh, an Asgardian
3: scroll for the succotash. You don't want that in your life. uh,
0: Maybe I'll think about it. Well, until we come back to talk a little bit more about these amazing comics, guys, I've had an amazing few hours with you and I can't wait to do this again. Thank you to everybody for hanging in. We are X's for Show and you can check us out at xsforshow.com. and don't forget to like and subscribe to the stream here and until next time, keep those mutant lights, lit, those Kirkoan gateways open remember to keep those recipes coming and we'll see you. Yay,
3: bye everybody!
0: Bye! Bye! bye.